So, I want to take us into Ephesians 4 a little bit. Is that okay? Um, uh, little words can make a big difference, can't they? Here's a sign um, where uh, you might just notice <laughs> that a little word seems to make quite a big difference. If you can read that, God does not make mistakes, as in they've spelt it with steaks. Anyone like a steak? Sorry, vegetarians in the room. Um, so we've been on a journey in the book of Ephesus, haven't we? And what's happened, what we've flowed through, is we've had the blessing of joining in with Paul and hearing Paul, the writer, as he wrote this letter, sharing it, and it was to a church in a place called Ephesus, um, but it's also a letter that was intended to be shared. And we've shared it, and for three chapters... Paul has been setting out the amazing grace of God. So in other words, the things that God blesses us with, we don't deserve. And, and the mercy of God. Right? You know, God doesn't treat us, you know, frankly, you know, if he, he took a look at my life, God's, you'd think about God's judgment on my life. It doesn't treat me. God gives mercy and God gives grace. And Paul's been talking about that for, for three chapters. And then he comes to this, chapter four, and I'm just going to read it through for you and follow if, you, if you'd like to. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then. So here's this little word, then. Little words in the Bible are so powerful. Because of everything I've shared with you, then. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, something else we always spot, don't we, in Scripture is when there are repeated words. Are you ready? It's going to be hard to miss. It's a little word, but it's a powerful one. Because there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Anyone spot the little word? One. But, so how? How are we going to do this? But to each one of us, grace has been given, as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will be no longer infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work." You may have heard the phrase, 
you are what you eat. Have a look at me. Steak. (laughs) Paul is saying, you are what you believe. So there are people who say that what we believe as Christians is a kind of worldview. It's a, it's a faith, is a kind of worldview. They're wrong, aren't they? Faith is what you actually live out. What you do shows what you believe. I could tell you I believe all kinds of things about money, but if I don't actually give it, I don't really believe what I say about money. Paul is saying... You're called to a way of life. You are what you believe. Now, if I want to sum up what I'm talking about here, it's the word maturity. That's our topic for so kind of, because Paul is calling, isn't he? This church, this manifesto to the church that he's giving, he's calling them to maturity. If you want a different way of titling today's little talk, it's growing old is mandatory, but growing up is optional. Walt Disney. He's given me the title for this talk. So here you go. Growing old is mandatory, but growing up is optional. Now, I know that Walt Disney was saying, don't lose your childlike joy, and, and all of which, which I completely agree with. Please don't hear me anything. But Paul is kind of saying, are you growing up to this church? And through the centuries, and now right in this moment, the Holy Spirit is saying, Are you growing up? Because he said the way of Jesus looks like something. It looks like being completely humble and gentle, being patient, bearing with one another in love. It looks like making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Humility and gentleness. There's a slide going to show these up. Humility and gentleness. Patience. Very stressing unity, doesn't he? One, but also critically growing maturity as a disciple. So what he says with those ones is that despite all the things that might separate us, despite all the differences, what unites us as the followers of Jesus, as the people of God, outweighs anything that is in our differences And in our diversities, there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, faith, one baptism, one God, one Father who is over all, through all and in all. You can't come across anything bigger than what binds us together in God. It's the heart of the nature of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. They are one bound together. We're called to be one together. And Paul says, live out this way of Jesus. Live like Jesus until you reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, verse 13, and you become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then, then, verse 14, you'll no longer be infants, Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. 
Is there winds blowing? Are there things trying to divert us from the way of Jesus? Yes, absolutely. And it's, just, it's cunning and crafty and it comes from people in deceitful scheming. Instead, if we follow the way of Jesus and we choose to let him, invite him to mature us, we'll speak the truth in love, verse 15. We'll grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. So, beautiful people from Trinity Cheltenham and from other churches gathered, this is the question. Growing old is mandatory, but growing up is optional. Are you behaving like an infant? Or are you living like an adult? People in the room know a lot more than I do about transactional analysis. Here's a little slide to go up, a picture of what people talk about in different relationships. This sense that you can be a parent in a relationship, you can be an adult in a relationship, you can be a child in a relationship. Uh, when transactional analysis is done in terms of how people's personal attitude is in their relationships, marriages can be a real problem if one of the those in a marriage is being the parent and the other one is acting like a child, if they're not both acting like adults. Yeah. How do you go through life? Do you act like an adult or do you act like a child? Do you have a sense of deserving things? Do you have a sense that the world is basically meant to look after you? And if you don't get what you want, you throw your toys out the pram. Now, friends, what Paul is saying, and we just got to take it on the chin, this is exactly how we can be with God. And it's exactly how we can be with each other in church life. Do you want to have an adult relationship with God? Now, don't get me wrong on this. We need a childlike trust and faith. But frankly, if we only ever come down to the front for prayer, for God to meet our needs again and again and again, and they're the same needs, and despite the fact having him several times spoken into our needs and spoken to us about how we can grow in maturity and we just haven't, then we're acting like a child. Now, God loves us and he blesses us and he's the perfect father. And he, time and time again with me in my life, has, has given more to me when I've come to him. Please don't hear me wrong. And if you're in that place, if you're struggling with something and it's the right, please don't hear me saying it wrongly. But some of us need to grow up because we're telling the same story today that we were telling four, five, ten, whatever years ago. I think it's an amazing gift for those in the room who know. It's an amazing thing how the Lord blessed this church family through the season that we had when we had the, the, the abrupt change in leadership, the bomb going on. It's just an amazing testimony to the kindness of the Lord and the, the skill of leadership here at that time. Lots and lots of things. But some people you'll know, you'll know, haven't ever moved on. Haven't ever moved on. And... Maybe there's forgiveness that's needing. Maybe there's stuff that's needing. Maybe there's lots of things that you could come and speak to me about and I'd have to say, yes, I agree with you. But I also, friends in love, think there's some of us who've just got to grow up out of it. And whatever else might there be in your life, whatever in my life, do I keep coming to the Lord with the same things, trying to sell the same story, or am I maturing? Am I growing up? Can I look back 
Can I see how things have changed? I look at my marriage. How are things, you know, where's the maturity in my marriage, in my, in my parenting of my ch- children? Where's the maturity in that? In my relationship with you, friends, as a, as a church family, is there maturity in my leadership, in my being Andrew? And in my relationship with God, is there a maturing? How much so many of us in this room have to teach us if you've gone through a time of real suffering, dark night of the soul kind of stuff. If you've had to put faith into practice, you've walked the walk because faith is an action. Faith is what you do through extreme suffering. How much you have to teach us. Because that is maturing. That is maturity. These are tough questions, aren't they? Paul asks them. He asks them of this church in Ephesus, and I think, I think he's asking us as well. Who's responsible for your faith development? Is it me? Am I to be your parent? Is, is the leadership of this church to be responsible? Or where does our responsibility together lie? Am I meant to come up with a cleverer way of talking about money to inspire us to give to the Lord's work? I'm not, am I? We want to be adults together, don't we? And thank God that we are. But you, you see the point I'm making, and I know I'm making them sharply because I think there's a sharpness in Scripture where the Lord is saying, come on, rise up. He's saying it to this church in Ephesus. Do you remember right at the very beginning when I was starting from Ephesus 1, I took us to Revelation where the church in Ephesus has to be rebuked because they're working very hard. They're doing lots of things, but they've lost their first love. Do you remember that? There's a warning, isn't there? And there's a warning, of course, to to any of us. Who's responsible? Who's responsible in different situations? Am I being an adult? Or am I trying to take wrongly the role of parent? Or am I wrongly taking the chart? Growing up is mandatory. Sorry, growing old is mandatory. Growing up in our faith is optional in the sense that we have to participate, we have to share in it. And it is Paul saying to us, I believe, down the centuries. And don't worry, this isn't a talk I've been waiting five years to give. It really isn't. (laughs) It's how the Lord has spoken to me this week. And he's speaking to me personally. Because I need to grow up in all kinds of areas. I really do. I really, really, really do. So we always speak to ourselves. So is anyone feeling ever so slightly, ooh, pricked by the Holy Spirit? Yes? I hope so. Otherwise, I haven't been faithful to God's word. But, but you read. Now, the good news is that Paul then says, doesn't he? He says, look, how does this happen? Is it, is it by force of, I'm just going to go and look in the mirror when I get home and say, grow up, Andrew? No. It's always the work of the Lord, isn't it? It's always, so he's been sharing that for three chapters. He's been saying, it's the grace of God. God comes to meet us first. We didn't go off and find God sitting on a planet and say, would you like the job of God? He came to us, the incarnation. It's always the work of the Lord. It's the work of the Lord convicting. Faith is a gift, we're told, isn't it, from the Lord. Um, And so here we are. Here we are receiving different gifts from from the Lord, aren't we? And he says, there's a whole load that he, he describes, doesn't he? Grace and gifts. And here's a little word picture. Uh, grace and gifts. Here's a little word picture for all the gifts that get spoken about. Are you using your God-given gifts? Because Paul says, if you want to mature, 
One of the ways you do it is by using the gift that you've been given. Each one of us has been given a gift. Are you using your gift? So in Romans 12 talks about encouragement, giving, leadership, mercy, prophecy, service, teaching. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about administration, discernment, healing, interpretation of tongues, languages, wisdom, faith, helps, prophecy, knowledge, miracles, teaching gets repeated. 1 Peter 4, Peter talks about serving and teaching. What do we notice when we see the gifts, when we, when we hear about the gifts that God gives? And so we're asking ourselves, what's my gift and am I using it? And am I maturing in the way that I'm using my gift? Is, is that there's an overflow of possibilities. Many people think this is not an exhaustive list. We also notice that some of the gifts are things that you would absolutely receive supernaturally in a very obvious kind of way. You didn't, you didn't have this gift and then you do have this gift. Others of them are ones where it's a sense that the Holy Spirit at work in you heightens something within you, takes it to a new level. And we all share as family in all of these gifts. The obvious example I always use for this is hospitality. I'm not allowed to say as a follower of Jesus, I'm not into hospitality. That's somebody else's gift. Sorry, I'm just a horrible person. But I have got the gift of preaching. I have to exercise the gift of hospitality, don't I? But there are some amongst us who the Lord blesses with a level, a degree of hospitality that is above and beyond. You can see the giftedness in them. Some of these things, of course, align with leadership. But leadership is not a thing kind of ever distinct from us as the people of God. We all share in all of these gifts. We all share in them. Some of us are invited and asked by God, have a calling to exercise our influence. We all influence, but in particular roles, particular ways, particular times. But not separate from. So here's a question. Do you know what your at least one gift is? Are you using it? And are you growing in the way that you're using it? If you're sitting back and saying, I don't have a gift, that's everyone else's responsibility, you're being a child. Come on, somebody else, come and serve me. Please hear me. If you are going through complete torture and rubbish, you are allowed to be a complete mess. (laughs) But if that's a lifestyle, You know, if you would say now the same thing as you would have said 10 years ago, then I've got a bit of a kind of, what's going on there question. I've asked myself that question as I've looked in the mirror this week about some things. Have you asked anybody what they think your gifts are? Are you in a life group where people could help you discover your gifts and where you could use your gifts? Sometimes people come and say to me, Andrew, I think the Lord's calling me to preach. And they kind of want to come straight up here and do a big preach. And I say, well, well, tell me how that gift is already expressing itself in your life. Or I have a gift of pastoring. Tell me how that gift is already expressing itself in your life. I have a gift of hospitality. I have a gift of leadership. Any of these gifts, I say to them, tell me how it's already expressing itself in your life. Because your gift will express itself. It will. And we need every one of them. 
Paul here does pick up on five specific ministry roles. I haven't got time in any of these things today to go into a lot of detail, but you noticed it, didn't you, I'm sure. So Christ himself, verse 11, if you're following here. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So what Paul specifically here is talking about a five-fold dynamic to the ministry of Jesus Christ. This is Jesus' ministry. This is the way of Jesus being described for us. And again, it's fundamentally a manifesto to the church, not a leadership tract. So there are leadership dynamics to all of these ministry aspects, these things that Jesus was involved in, but they're ours. We share in them. So are you an apostle in the sense that you are the one in your life group or on the team who is always looking for where the Lord is calling to go and to, to you know, you're a sent one, you're pioneering we talk as a church family here at Trinity about the green space where we have those interactions with non-Christians. Um, and are you the person who's, who's looking for that new space to sort of kind of go with the message? Are you a pioneer person, an innovator? Yes, the Lord may bless some of us with a, a particular particularity to that gift of being an apostle, a visionary in leadership, but it's a shared gifting. And every team at Trinity needs this. Every life group at Trinity needs those who carry something of this aspect of the fivefold nature of Jesus. Are you a prophet? Are you tuned to God's will? Do you have a sense of what God is saying into situations? Can be predictive of the future, but often it's about the what is going on here and now. Are you an evangelist? Do you have a passion to share Jesus? Do you, do you find that you can't not share the good news? Are you a pastor? Are you a teacher? Now, there is obviously a problem, isn't there? The Western church is totally dominated by pastor teachers. Because we all want to be cared for. We all want to be nurtured. We all want to be understood. We all want someone to explain something to us, don't, don't we? And in the Greek, it may be that pastor-teacher is one thing. We've got a problem with not having enough apostles, prophets, and evangelists. So in Kenya, they planted four churches during COVID. In COVID, we kind of looked after each other. I think the Lord blessed us in it, but we didn't plant a church. So that speaks directly to me, doesn't it? But actually, it speaks to us. So we have a model, a way of being church, which emphasizes pastoring and teaching. Please don't knock the pastors and the teachers. I love them. But where are the evangelists? Where are the, where are the prophets? Where are the apostles? Because the purpose is to equip and build up, isn't it? The word equip is only um, carries, it's here in this bit of the New Testament, carries about potentially 12 different uh, meanings and ideas, including in, in um, contemporary Greek, setting a broken bone. Setting a broken bone. But uh, mending nets used, Matthew 4.21, bringing the church into harmony, that equipping sense, correcting problems in the church, restoring people who've, who've gone off the rails, making up what a church lacks, doing the will of God. 
We all need equipping. We need building up. And it's only through each one of us using our gifts, having a sense of our part in God's ministry, that we will be healthy as a church. We will be all in with God, all in with each other, and all in for the world. Because it's for works of service, isn't it? It's for the mission of Jesus Christ. It's not just for us. It's not just a religious club. The gifts and the, the roles that Paul's describing for us in maturing are to prepare the church to fully qualify for serving the Lord's work. There's a picture of shalom from Genesis, of peace, of rest. That sense of the word shalom and rest and peace, which is when everything is in its right place, doing its right thing. So actually, the greatest maturity test, actually, is not can I look in the mirror and see what the Lord is doing in me. The greatest maturity test is actually us and how we, one, are functioning as the church of Jesus Christ, being mission-orientated, his mission, co-missioned by Jesus for his works. That is the test of our maturity. It is the test of our maturity about how many people are coming to faith in and through us. It is a test of our maturity, whether our life groups have just stayed exactly the same for the last 20 years, because it's really important. And a lot of people are going through stuff and we've been supporting each other. Or are we growing to the point that we need to multiply? It is a test of our maturity, how many people we have on an Alpha course. But it's a test of our maturity, how many people have I shared the good news of Jesus Christ in some way with this week? In some way. Or do I think, really primarily my job is just to get people to the stuff that the church puts on, because that's really their job. That's the danger of Alpha, isn't it? My job is to just to get to people Alpha, and then Andrew, I serve them up to you on a plate and the Alpha team, and you do the rest. I'm painting with broad brush strokes to make my points. There's such a danger, isn't it, of thinking that God's job is simply to serve my needs. There's such a danger in limiting the grace of God by not giving it away. You cannot outgive God. There's such a danger, isn't there, in noticing the inherent and obvious weaknesses of Trinity, because every church has obvious and inherent weaknesses, and using those as an excuse for not being an adult. Big churches have big church problems, but friends, the grass is not greener on the other side. I've been there. Little churches also have problems. Vineyard churches have problems. High Roman Catholic churches have... Welcome to the reality of the world. We can really use it as an excuse, can't we? To not mature. This is actually all about character, though, isn't it, to finish? It isn't at all about accomplishments. 
I didn't make any comment about the word prisoner at the very beginning of the reading. Did you notice it? As a prisoner for the Lord, says Paul. And it is right that Paul was often physically imprisoned, but the meaning of the Greek word that's behind there, demios, is prisoner in the sense of being attached to somebody else. Prisoner of a person. Paul is talking about being so connected with Jesus, it's like they're chained together. And that's what he prays for this church in Ephesus, to grow into fuller relationship, for hearts to be changed, and then, yes, everything else to follow. Are you walking alongside Jesus on a track? But the reality is you're on one side and he's on the other. Or are you really chained together? That's what Paul's actually asking. That's where real maturity comes. That you could say of yourself, such a strong sentiment. It's it's like I'm a, a prisoner for the Lord in a wonderful, wonderful way. We are bound together. Our hearts are so chained together. And that's my story. That's my story. As I look back, I can see that growing maturity. Thank you for being a lovely church family. I really mean that. I do think it is my job sometimes to bring us some challenge. But I speak to myself. I really do. I'm doing a lot of looking in the mirror. I hope you will as well.